0: Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, we'll start by defining the kitchen witch, then we'll talk about what to do if you can't cook or don't know how, how to make the most of awkward spaces or small spaces, and what to do to manage a space that is shared with muggles, children, or messy folks. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft, the podcast where we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. I'm your host, Maggie Hazeman. Okay, so we're talking about kitchen witchery. And the reason that I chose this topic for this session, for this um, time of year, is because the Mumbles Academy is structured around the zodiac season. So I decided to take this opportunity to um, use this first episode as the introductory lesson to the um, more in-depth masterclass that I'll be sharing with Mumbles Academy students throughout this week so that's what we're doing and the zodiac seasons are determined by which zodiac sign the sun is traveling through based on the tropical zodiac system so this is determined by the equinoxes and the solstices and so we are in cancer season which begins directly after the summer solstice and so cancer season is Um, The energy in this time is all about the family, so this could be your biological family, but if you aren't close with your biological family, and you maybe have a chosen family, Cancer energy loves it all. So anyone that you consider your closest loved ones, that's what Cancer energy is about. And this energy is also focused on the home, so this is your childhood home and how you were raised. This is your current home and where you are right now, why you are the way that you are based on how you were raised and the choices that you've made. And it's also about your future home. So where you want to go, what kind of home you want to create. And in a lot of different cultures, the center of the home is the kitchen. And so that's kind of why I chose this topic for cancer season. Like if you think I think about parties that I go to with my family and we always end up in the kitchen even though like my grandparents house the kitchen was the smallest room in the house but somehow we were always all in the kitchen just crammed together and um, I think this is just because that's where the food is so we all gather around where the food is and we cluster together and we spend time together so so that's um, just to let you know why I chose this specific topic for this specific season. And so in this episode, I am going to be sharing with you what kitchen witchcraft is, where it comes from, um, what it means to be a kitchen witch. And I'm also going to be sharing with you uh, some ideas for what to do if you don't feel like you're a good w- <laughs> a good cook or if you don't feel like you can cook or you don't know how. I'm also going to share with you what to do if you have like a small kitchen or a awkward space. Um, sometimes open floor plans make it a little bit challenging to gather your energy in the kitchen. And then um, also shared spaces. So if you live with muggles or people who don't practice witchcraft, or if you live with children who often have their curious hands and everything, or if you live with really messy people who don't clean up after themselves. So all of these things that kind of make it challenging to practice kitchen witchcraft if you share a space. Um, Now if you're in Mumbles Academy you'll get some more later this week, so tomorrow the first lesson Um, or the Cancer Season Masterclass at 2 p.m. We'll be going more in detail. We'll be talking about the seven principles of magic and how these come into kitchen witchcraft. We'll be talking about some of the more practical aspects of kitchen witchcraft, so the tools and setting up your altar. And if you're not in Mumbles Academy, then you can join. There's still time. You can join at any point um, just by going to mumblesacademy.com, and then you can have access to that masterclass as well. And of course, if you just, if you join any time in the future, you get access to everything that we've talked about in the past, so you can get all of these lessons later on if it right now is not the right time. Okay, so let's get started with this lesson. Let's focus on where we are right now. Okay, so when you hear the phrase kitchen witch, you might think of like an old-fashioned stone cottage with a thatched roof, and then inside there's this big fireplace and a big open flame with like a cauldron hanging over it and there's someone standing over the cauldron and they're stirring it and they're adding ingredients and herbs and things. And then arranged all around on shelves there's like clay bowls and jars of dried ingredients and herbs hanging from the wall. So this is kind of like the imagery we often think of with kitchen witchcraft. There's like a big wooden table with chairs all around it. I think of the home in Lark Rise to Candleford. Um, that's a good BBC show, if you haven't seen it before, but they have just like, that's just what I imagine as Kitchen Witchcraft is their little cottage. Um, and in a time before electricity, this is how a lot of people really did make their food. <laughs> they uh making soups and stews in these big cauldrons over open flames. Um, and it was also where people would make healing potions, so medicines using herbs and their medicinal properties, and um, concoctions that were for magical purposes to bring about some sort of magical result. Now modern people, we have a lot more convenience in terms of how we cook our food, and we have more accessibility to a variety of ingredients that we can get from going to the grocery store and they're shipped in from all over, so we have a lot of these conveniences. We, after the era of convenience, like the 1950s, 1950s is kind of like the era of convenience, microwave meals came around and all of these prepackaged foods, but more and more people are turning back to their roots of making things from scratch and using ingredients that come directly from nature and that are local and are organic and all of these different things, that's kind of a movement, so As people learn about these um, big agricultural practices and industrial agriculture um, and how it affects the earth and how it affects our health, a lot of people are turning more towards these holistic, ancient practices of being more um, intentional with the ingredients we choose and cooking more from scratch. And so there is this movement where people are growing some of their food or even all of their food People are investing in um, farms. People are moving more and more to having an entire farm or to having a backyard garden, or even just a pot on the windowsill for herbs and vegetables. And this popularity for organic ingredients is also on the rise, and more and more people are looking for organic foods. And because of that, they're becoming more accessible, so you don't have to go to a specialty store to find organic food. And a lot of times it's actually not very expensive, very comparable to conventional produce and products. So that's a really exciting time to live in where the movement of wanting more of these things is actually creating more demand and making the prices more accessible to people. Alright. And then we also are seeing this rise in witchcraft, which of course is very exciting. There's this um, rise in witchcraft which has resulted in this increase in the interest in magical properties of the food that we eat so we're learning more and more about how food has this transformative energy and so the more people who are interested in witchcraft the more people are interested in kitchen witchery so this word kitchen witchery is kind of like a modern phrase that we use to define a really ancient practice of just making food the way our ancestors did. So throughout this episode I will be using my definitions for witch and witchcraft and magic and I'll be calling the kitchen witch this just for simplicity. So it doesn't mean that everyone who practices kitchen witchcraft or who uses magic in the kitchen is a kitchen witch. It's just, it's just a simplicity thing. So I like to use my definitions, I'm going to share them again. A witch is someone who is aware of their own power and puts that power into action. More simply, a witch is someone who practices witchcraft And witchcraft is the use of magic to create change in your environment or the practice of exerting your will to get what you want out of life. So those are my definitions for these words and kind of how I define it, but again there are people who practice, who don't practice magic, who might not consider themselves a witch. Uh, So there's, there's, I just wanted to make that distinction that. I'm kind of using this phrase, but there are people who might not be witches who practice kitchen witchcraft. So these cooks revere the earth and they understand that transformative energy of food. So they may be engaging in these crafts that fall under this umbrella of kitchen witchcraft, but they're not necessarily witches. whatever you're doing, whenever you create a tea or an herbal medicine or a tincture or some sort of meal with intention, that is kitchen witchcraft. That's how I'm defining kitchen witchery. Anytime that you're putting your magic into something that you're going to later ingest, anytime you consider the practice of cooking your food, so the whole ritual of it as a ritual, including the cleaning and the cooking and the collecting of ingredients and um, the blessing of your tools, all of that is part of the ritual of kitchen witchery. So whether you consider yourself a kitchen witch or not, the, this episode, this lesson, is designed for anyone who is interested in the magical properties of food, and the mundane preparation of cooking and eating food. And everything here is meant to be practical and useful for any spiritual person at any level of cooking skill, so long as you just want to incorporate some magic into your food. So we're going to talk about what it means to actually be a kitchen witch and the main quality of a kitchen witch is that you incorporate magic into preparing and eating food. So any meal or kitchen creation that you create in a kitchen (laughs) that is done with intention for a specific purpose, that's kitchen witchery. There are many other practices that can be involved in kitchen witchery, but the main thing is this, that you incorporate magic into this process of cooking. So a kitchen witch may or may not grow some or all of their food in a garden or a farm or in a, um, in a pot inside, but however the ingredients arrive to the witch, whether they were grown or purchased or, um, you know, purchased from a grocery store or purchased from a farmer directly, however it's brought into the kitchen witch's life, there is this honoring of their, the nutritional value, the nourishment, and the magical qualities of that food. Now, many kitchen witches prefer to make everything from scratch and avoid buying processed and prepackaged foods whenever possible, but that doesn't mean that you can't use prepackaged foods or processed foods in a kitchen witchcraft practice. The reason that many witches, kitchen witches, tend to like to make things from scratch is because of this idea that the ingredients are as close to the earth as possible, so the original source of nourishment is close to the earth. But again that doesn't mean that those processed foods can't be incorporated into a kitchen witchcraft practice. The process of cooking and growing or collecting the ingredients, preparing them to cook through slicing or um, blending or or uh, chopping or whatever you do to prepare them, and the actual cooking process as well as the cleanup after the meal, these are all considered part of the ritual of cooking of a uh, kitchen witchcraft and it's not a chore, so you kind of shift your mindset around. Of around what you're doing, instead of this being like a chore, something you have to do. It's something that you enjoy doing and you do because of the nourishment that you're bringing your body and the magical transformation that you can expect through making these magical meals. And then the eating of the food, of course, is also part of that ritual. And then the tools and gadgets involved in kitchen witchcraft become your magical tools. So whatever you use in your kitchen. Um, for cooking, pots and pans, small appliances, large appliances, mixing bowls, your dishes, your cutlery, your mixing spoons and spatulas, all of these things that you use for cooking, they become magical because you have assigned them the task of being um, part of your ritual for cooking. And many kitchen witches also will cleanse and charge all of these tools and the space itself as part of their ritual. Um, and focus their intention on the tools as they use them, and give them the task of putting your intention into the food that you're making. And then, with all of this said, there are so many, 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 many ways <laughs> to be a kitchen witch. And so what I'm my goal here is to just show you that that there are lots of different ways to bring more magic into your kitchen. Because kitchen witchery is one of the easiest ways, the best ways to bring more magic into your daily life. You're eating every single day, everyone has to eat, so you have this opportunity every single day to learn about the ingredients in your food and their magical properties. Um, So the properties that they possess and how you can use that to transform and to create this result that you desire. And then you also have this opportunity to, as you're eating, whether you made the food or not, so maybe you're at a restaurant or you've gotten takeout. Um, you have this opportunity to set an intention for that meal. Okay, so whatever your practice looks like, uh, you can bring that practice into the kitchen. So if you have a specific deity that you work with, you can bring them into the kitchen with you. If you work with the elements, you can bring them into the kitchen. Anything that you normally do, however you cleanse, cleanse your kitchen in the same way however you Charge your tools, charge your kitchen gadgets in that way. So whatever you normally do, you can just pull that into your kitchen witchcraft practice. Your cookbooks become your grimoire because that is a book of recipes or spells. Your spoon becomes your wand because you're using it to direct your intention into the thing that you're cooking. Your pot becomes a cauldron, and it just so happens that your materials are all edible. <laughs> so you might not be working with crystals in the same way. You um, you can use crystals for certain things. Don't eat your crystals. (laughs) You can use them for charging your ingredients, though. And um, um, you're using all of your herbs and things like that. Those are all edible. Now, the remainder of this episode, I just want to talk about some objections that might come up for people as they think about uh, becoming a kitchen witch or bringing kitchen witch into their kitchen witchery into their practice and this is just to ease your mind because sometimes we have these things that pop up and they say, no I can't do that because of this reason. So I just want to make sure that we take those objections away so that you can, if you are interested in this path of witchcraft and you want to bring kitchen witchcraft into your practice, then you don't have anything holding you back because I'm going to take away all of those fears and limiting beliefs right now. (laughs) So if you're thinking, I'm a terrible cook or I don't like to cook or I've never cooked before or maybe you're thinking that your kitchen is too small or that your um, space is awkward, maybe you have an open floor plan or you have like your appliances are arranged weirdly or you don't have that much cabinet space, anything like that. If you're thinking that you um, live with muggles or people who would judge you so you don't want to share that with other people or be really open about this kitchen witchcraft practice, or maybe you're worried about your kids who, if they're younger especially, they might get into things and they have those curious little hands. So if you have worries about that, or if you have really messy roommates, or even like your spouse or your partner who is very messy and doesn't, and leaves you all the cleanup. So um, all of that sort of stuff, if anything is plaguing your mind right now, then I'm going to clear that up. We'll address it right now. Okay, so the first two um, that I mentioned, the I don't know how to cook or I've never cooked before. Those are pretty similar, so I'm just going to talk about them kind of together. But if you don't feel like you can cook, you don't um you don't know how, then it is a little bit overwhelming to consider jumping into this culinary <laughs> adventure of creating meals from scratch maybe you prefer to get takeout or to go out to eat or maybe you have a bunch of microwave meals or other convenient options, don't get discouraged if that's you because we all start learning somewhere. It is necessary to have some sort of interest in learning this type of magic so you want to feel excited about the idea of kitchen witchcraft, you don't want to think of it as a chore. So if that's not you then this might not be the right path. To go forward, but if, because your witchcraft practice should bring you joy. So if it's not bringing you joy, if if kitchen, if being in the kitchen doesn't bring you joy, or the idea of it doesn't, then what's the point? But if you are interested and you are excited, then I'll let you in on a little secret. (laughs) You can work kitchen magic into your practice very easily. Um, You can do kitchen magic whether you are simply dumping a jar of marinara sauce on your pasta that you've boiled, or whether you are growing all of the ingredients to create a marinara sauce from scratch. Both of them can be magical, and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich can be just as magical or even more magical than an elaborate stir fry that has a peanut sauce on it. Like all of this. both of these can be um equally magical. So I always like to remind you that simple spells can have very big impacts. Keeping things really simple is how you keep your mind focused on the intention. So if you make things too complicated, if you have all of these steps and and ingredients and materials, then you're shifting your focus from the intention, the purpose of the spell, and you're taking that focus and putting it on the process and the steps and everything you have to do. And so that's not to say that complicated spells or recipes aren't good, it's just saying like you want to be comfortable with what you're doing before you do an elaborate process. So with kitchen witchcraft, complicated recipes that have a lot of ingredients and steps and take a lot of time and you're not used to that kind of thing, that will take your mind away from the intention, the magical desire, and put it on those steps that you have to do. Um, Things that you might not be familiar with or know how. So, So don't worry if you're not a fancy cook or if you don't know how to cook these elaborate gourmet meals. If you can boil water, then you can be a kitchen witch because um, magical tea is a staple in kitchen witchery. It's a very simple thing to do, it's just about as simple as you can get. You boil some water and you pour it over the the tea, (laughs) so it's very simple, Um, anyone can do that. But I will add that it is worth learning how to cook and to find the joy in that process of learning how to cook, um, especially from scratch as you practice and the more you practice the better you get, that's just how it works. If you practice you'll get better. Um, When you cook from scratch you just have a lot more freedom to make substitutions based on your particular desire. You start to learn how different flavors combine and work together and how certain other flavors you might not want to mix together so you start to learn about different uh, ingredients and how they work together. You can substitute um, for different purposes if you want to shift your intention. So it also empowers you to do a lot more with your witchcraft practice when you cook from scratch. And at the same time, since you're using ingredients that are closer to the earth because they are closer to their natural form, they're not processed or prepackaged. this just strengthens your connection with the earth and also with your physical body because there's more nutrition involved and there's, um, and that also strengthens your connection with your spiritual body. So both your physical and your spiritual body and the earth. So I just want you to know that you can start where you are, wherever you are in your cooking skills. You can, um, you can commit to learning more as you go. Start where you are, learn more, and then just give yourself the time to learn and be patient with yourself in that process. Because, you know, many people become Confident in their magical ability after you know a week or a couple weeks you start to see how your magic works And the same thing is true for anything that you're learning so you can just give yourself a couple weeks to learn these new skills and um, just to, To help you get on that path Now I would suggest you invest in a beginner's cookbook and especially if you find one that's specifically for witchcraft then you're already a you know a step ahead because They incorporate that magic into the recipes, Uh, and there's actually quite a few of these witchcraft cookbooks. So anyway, I'd I'd suggest investing in some sort of cookbook. Beginner cookbooks are good, or finding a beginner blog to follow if you don't have the funds right now to invest in in a book, a physical book. If you find like a blog, these are free, and um, they often beginner things often feature recipes that have fewer ingredients. So you know, there's some. Uh, I have a cookbook that's like 10 ingredients or less recipes and that's great because you know that's not very many to manage and um, a lot of times the beginner recipes take less time so 30 minutes or less. Now I also recommend that when you do try something new especially if you're new to cooking to start by running through once without applying your magical intention to that cooking process. So just that gets you comfortable with the steps involved with the cooking. And then that also helps you to build up that that confidence. Um, And then the next time you make it, you can apply your magical intention to it. You can focus your intention because you already know the steps. You've already done that learning process and you can um, move forward with making it and applying your intention to it. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then if you already do have a few meals that you kind of cycle through you know we, we get into I, I, I do at least I get into cycles of certain meals that I make pretty consistently and so you can study those meals that you do know how to make look at the ingredients and see what the magical properties of them are and um, see what you can use them for in the future if you need a certain purpose if you want to have them for a certain magical purpose to create that outcome Okay, so a couple of other concerns that I mentioned before about kitchen witchcraft and what might be holding people back. You might feel like you have a very small kitchen or um, open floor plans also can be a little bit challenging So the, to arrange your kitchen in a way that's conducive for magic and for cooking with ease. So small kitchens are a little bit more challenging for cooking because there's usually less counter space and less uh, cabinet space. So in these tight or awkward spaces, it can be a little bit more challenging it to feel that flow of the energy of the what you want but you can also get creative and that's what i'm going to help you with (laughs) so um my example here is my husband and i used to live in an apartment and the apartment was um open so pretty much completely open the only doors in the whole house was like the front door and the back the back um like open to the courtyard and then there was a door on each of the bathrooms, but e- the bedrooms didn't have door. oh well, the bedroom, there's one bedroom, and then the den didn't have a door, so it was very, very open. All of the energy got all like mixed up, and so I had to set really clear boundaries for the energy, and I did this using a variety of tools like crystals and, and just visualization. Um, but for the kitchen, it was challenging because you came in the front door and the island was right there. And so the island kind of acted as like a half wall separating the kitchen from the hallway, basically. (laughs) And so I always, when we first moved in, I had a really hard time connecting with my energy. When I was cooking, I always felt like really scattered. And the ceilings were really high too. It was like 10 foot ceilings. So it was just like, really, it was odd. It was hard, (laughs) it was hard for me. But then I set very clear boundaries for myself and for my um, husband, he was my fiance at the time, but, that I created like a visual line where clutter could build up on that side of the island but not on the kitchen side. And so that was just a boundary that I set for myself to know that the kitchen space was separate. And so that's one idea is to make this visual separation in your space, um, especially if you have an open floor plan like that, where the kitchen is in its own room. And the reason that you would want this is because you I feel like it's nice to kind of contain the energy of what a room is intended to be used for. So, I talked about this in a previous episode, but um, like, you want your bedroom to be like relaxing, or romantic even. You want your, if you have like an office space, you want that to be motivating and productive feeling. And you want your kitchen to have a variety of different things, but generally I want my kitchen to feel welcoming and joyful. So it's hard to set those spaces up when you don't have walls (laughs) or doors. Um, And so that's just something that you kind of have to learn to do with visual separations or energetic separations, like I mentioned the crystals and the visualization. Now if you have a small kitchen, you can make it seem bigger by using mirrors. So I've seen people put mirrors on the doors of their cabinets and that kind of bounces the energy around and makes it feel bigger. Um, Or, you know, the backsplash could have mirror tiles in it or, you know, mirrored, just mirrored hanging mirrors, things like that. So that can help to make it look bigger. You can also create separation by painting the walls of your kitchen a different color, like a line, um, if you're allowed to paint. Some, Some apartments don't allow that if you're renting. So anyway, you can do things like this. You can also... Uh, one thing that we did in our apartment was where the cabinets ended. We put we put up corner shelves there, so that that added more storage space in the kitchen and um, kind of created a line defining here's the kitchen, here's the living room. You can also put like a table next to the uh, the cabinet on the ground. So we put up corner shelves on the wall, and then on the floor we put on a, put a table next to it. So that just adds a little bit more storage space or a definition of here's the entrance of the kitchen, and you could keep your altar tools there, so you could store your kitchen gadgets in that area, or you could create an altar, or something like that, or just use it for clearing up counter space, so if you have all your appliance on the counter, you can move them over to that storage. And then um, you can also, instead of keeping an altar up all the time in your kitchen, If you want to have an altar, you can create like a temporary altar every time you cook. So you just get out all of the tools that you'll be using and kind of lay them out and you can bless them or charge them or whatever your practice calls for before you start cooking. You could cleanse them as well. So that's an idea is to just have like a temporary altar to set up um, when you're actively cooking and then put it away so that it's not adding like clutter or taking away space from your kitchen. And again, you don't have to have an altar if that's not part of your practice or something that you desire in your kitchen. You don't you don't have to do that at all if you don't want one. Now, um, one thing to keep in mind is that when you have a small kitchen or if you have kind of an awkward space that makes it hard to cook, then elaborate and from scratch meals are much more challenging or even impossible, <laughs> like oh, maybe even stressful. Like I know that feeling of like, I have too many pans on the burner. All of my things are in the sink. It's like a crazy mess and it's very stressful. So just remember what I said before about simple spells and they can be just as impactful, effective. So, you you know, you don't have to do those elaborate meals, those gourmet from scratch meals. You can do something much more simple. I often like to do um, meals that just take one or two pans or pots, all of that sort of thing. Whatever you do with your kitchen witchcraft practice, you want to make sure that your focused intention is at the core and that you have a joyful heart and it doesn't feel stressful. (laughs) Again, what's the point? So the last thing that we'll talk about is the um, shared spaces. So maybe you live with muggles or people who don't practice witchcraft, or maybe you have children who tend to get into everything that you do, or maybe you have messy roommates who create just like a crazy mess, disarray any time that they cook and they refuse to clean up after themselves, which can be very frustrating. And all of this can be add a challenge or an obstacle to a kitchen witchcraft practice. So while you may want to have just like this kitchen witch haven and make it, you know, exactly what you imagine a kitchen which would have, then the reality of this might not be possible based on your living situation, and that's okay, because with some creativity, my favorite thing to do with witchcraft, you can maintain this enchanted kitchen energy um, anyway, just using some creati- creativity. So starting with muggles, specifically judgmental muggles, because, you know, some people live with muggles who are supportive. Of your kitchen witchcraft practice so you might be out with them and they're just like they either think you're a little um charming or whatever that you're um you're just a little silly or woo woo or you might have judgmental muggles who actually can be mean or um hurtful or harmful with your practice it depends on the type of muggles that you live with but we'll focus specifically on those judgmental muggles because that is the ones that you probably don't want to be super honest with about your practice. And even though witches have come a long way, being able to practice openly and freely in much of society, there's a lot of places around the world where witchcraft is still uh, punishable by death. But in recent years, witchcraft has entered the mainstream, especially in Western society, um, as like a trend. (laughs) And so some, you know, that's a little bit annoying in some ways, but it also makes it easier for those of us who practice witchcraft. Truly, and from our heart. So, even so, uh, witches still face ridicule and meanness from people who don't really understand what we do and who don't um, aren't aren't open-minded about it. So, if you don't share your practice openly or are in the broom cupboard, so to speak, then you probably won't want to display it in your kitchen or in other shared spaces in your home. So I'll just start by saying that kitchen witchery is, again, I said this before, it's one of the easiest ways to practice witchcraft kind of hidden in plain sight because everyone cooks, it's an ordinary mundane activity that everyone does pretty much every day, sometimes three times a day, sometimes one time a day, depending on who you are. So you don't need an altar, as I said before, you don't need like witchy symbols and statues in your kitchen, you don't need special tools for kitchen witchcraft because you use what you normally use for cooking, whatever you have for cooking, ordinary looking, you know, things that don't stand out as witchy. Um, all you really need for kitchen witchcraft is your intention and to keep that at the front of your focus. So. That's the first thing if you don't want to you don't have to set up an altar if you do feel like you need an altar and you want to keep it kind of hidden you can use like everyday objects to represent the energy that you want to bring in so maybe you want to bring in the four elements you can use a jar of air that's just like an ordinary thing that nobody would think is witchy but it's empty or filled with air, so that is a representation of air <laughs> you can use um you know I've seen those uh Chili peppers, the dried peppers, you could hang those as decoration and that represents fire. Or you can use, and you can use um, like a house plant that that has soil in it or a crystal if that's something that makes sense in your house. Some people think crystals are devil work um, too, so you might not be able to have crystals around, but a house plant, a crystal, a pretty rock that you found, anything, these can be used to represent earth. And then for water, if you, you you could have like a collection of seashells and it's just decorative, beautiful seashells that you've either either collected or found in a store to represent water. So, so, you know, be creative with that. You can find representation of, if you have a deity, instead of a statue of that deity, you can uh, think about something that represents that deity, that god or goddess, bring that into your kitchen. So those are just some to give you some brainstorming ideas. Um, I would recommend cleansing your kitchen tools if you share your kitchen with other people um, so that you can cleanse their energy from the tools before you start making a magical meal or magical creation. Uh, You can use any cleansing method that you normally do, so like smoke cleansing of course, but that might be something you don't want to do in front of other people. So one way to cleanse that's not very obviously witchy, is to run water over your tools. That just looks like doing the dishes, right? So, you know, you just run water with the intention of cleansing the energy away. If it's an appliance, you obviously can't run water over it, but you can use your regular cleaning products, natural products, of course, to cleanse with the intention of removing the energy of other people. And um, I also recommend charging your tools and materials with your intention. So that's something that you can do just by holding a tool and visualizing your intention going into that tool. You can also bring your tools into your private space whether that's like a bedroom or something like that and charge using other methods like crystals or moonlight so you might consider having your own set of like mixing spoons and things that you keep in your like your you know private space Um, and then you can do whatever you want and then bring them out whenever you cooking so that's another idea is to have your own tools like not obviously you can't have like two microwaves or two blenders or whatever but you could have two spoons and then um so that's charging your tools as you're cooking putting your intention into each tool and your materials as well so when you're cooking your ingredients stirring with your magical intention in mind and visualizing the ingredients filling with that intention there's no need to say anything out loud like you you might say something like, may this basil bring prosperity or something like that as you add basil, but you could say it in your head or you can think prosperity if that is your goal. Um, and then I, at any time that you do have a long period of time to yourself where nobody else is home, that's your opportunity to cleanse and bless the space more thoroughly. So you can bring out your uh, smoke cleansing bundle or however you do cleansing and to bless and... You know, maybe bringing out a sound instrument, like a chime or something, and using that to cleanse the space. Um, And then finally, you can bring in objects to protect that energy when you cleanse, uh, when you do that blessing more thoroughly. You can bring in objects that you've charged specifically with the intention to maintain that energy. So anything that wouldn't seem out of out of place like a like a knickknack or a figurine or a statue that seems like it goes there or already lives there um a pretty rock again or a crystal, maybe a painting that already hangs in that space or a picture that hangs in the space um even something like a vase or a or a mug or a jar like all of these things you can charge specifically with the intention of um you know fill it with the energy of what you want to cultivate in the kitchen and then it will get to work maintaining that energy in your kitchen. Okay, so those are, that's how to deal with muggles, how to be um, incognito with your witchcraft practice. And now we'll talk about children. (laughs) So um, children are really creative, they have limitless imagination, so there's a lot of uh, benefit of, you know, inviting your children into your work with you. They also can be getting into everything and like to touch things. So if you have children, you probably already have taught them the dangers of the kitchen and that there's hot things and sharp things, and you probably already keep these things safely away from, you know, they're out of their reach. So you can start with that by keeping your magical tools or anything that you want to keep away from children in a high shelf or in a childproof area of the kitchen, you probably don't have very much time cooking by yourself if you have children, especially if you have young children who like to be near you. So you, especially, and compared to people who don't have children who have probably a lot more time by themselves in the kitchen. So if you want to, you can invite your children into the kitchen with you and let them do that work with you again they have this incredible imagination they can create and they can they have a really strong belief so much more than adults who sometimes we have to remind ourselves to believe and to have faith in things where children are much more willing to do that so they can add just like a ton of power to this and depending on their age you can give them tasks to help you so if they're older maybe you have some teenagers who are interested in Uh, witchcraft you can ask them to help you by like chopping vegetables or stirring the pot or whatever Uh, mixing ingredients if they're if they're younger maybe like elementary or middle school they might be better at like stirring in a um like the dry ingredients or or things like that and if they're really young they might not be able to help with the actual cooking but you can set them up with toys and things that makes it them feel like they're part of it whatever age they are um, you can invite them to put their intention into that task so ask them what they want out of this meal and they can put that in as well you might also have messy roommates and and maybe that's children maybe that's a spouse maybe it's a, a roommate someone who's not related to you a friend or someone that you barely know and you just happen to live with because you needed a place to live. But um, I remember how exciting it was for me when my husband and I moved into that apartment after living with five, four other, three other people, he and I, and then three roommates, um, where we lived for four years. And that house was just so chaotic. <laughs> it was so much fun because it was all of our best friends. But um, there was always someone cooking or cleaning up after cooking, or they were, um, their stuff was in the sink while they ate after cooking. Before they cleaned up, so everyone was pretty responsible about cleaning up after themselves. But there was still a lot of energy focused in the kitchen. There's always someone in there. People were chatting and gathering, and so it was hard to really focus on your my intention when I was cooking. My practice at the time was much more on magical teas. (laughs) I did a lot of, that's when I, I think I probably started drinking a lot more tea then and now I'm addicted. So I really focused on making tea. So that's one idea is, is to really focus your practice on something much more simple than the actual cooking of a meal. But you can also cook intentionally in a chaotic environment. You can still put your intention into it and especially when you're eating, you can eat intentionally. So not eating in front of the TV or eating in front of um, while you're reading or something like that or playing a game, you know, eating and only eating. So that's one thing, is to, to shift your attention on, away from the actual cooking and the ritual of being in the kitchen and focus it on the eating or on more simple things like tea. <laughs> but if you um, really do want to commit to the whole ritual of cooking, and you have these messy roommates who leave these messes then obviously the first step is communication but of course that will depend on the social dynamics of your living situation so if you have someone who's not really receptive to that and you've already tried communicating your desire for a clean kitchen and the responsibility of of sharing that duty and that chore um then that might be a bit challenging and if you're out as a witch then It it does make it a little bit easier because you can express to them that it's part of your practice and um, that the energy in the kitchen affects the energy of your food, the quality of your meals, and their meals as well. You know, you can share with them how it affects the quality of their meals as well, but if you're not out, then it's a little bit hard to explain that this is part of your practice and that you need the energy to be a certain way for your meals. And so then you have to resort to more mundane um, explanations, like the responsibility of sharing chores, et cetera. So either way, whatever the dynamic of your household is, whatever your relationships are, that will determine their response and whether or not they change their ways. You can't really change someone else though. Like you can express what you need from someone, but you can't really expect them to change unless they want to and, That's a whole other story about how you how you deal with that with someone not respecting your needs but we're talking about kitchen witchcraft so if you want to have that space the way that you want then you might need to take on that role of just being coming the cleaner and that it might not be what you want to hear um, but that's something that you can choose to do to make that space clean before you get started cooking and turn it away from being like a resentment thing of like oh I have to clean up after this person and turn it into something fun and part of the ritual part of the cleansing process you are cleansing their energy from the kitchen by cleaning their dishes and even if it's annoying that's just kind of part of it and you can treat it as as part of the ritual and you can make it really fun by playing music that you enjoy um really fun music or you can dance and get into it or you know playing a podcast even or um a book that you're listening to making it really joyful and you can like invite a friend over so you have someone to chat with so just making it more of a fun experience instead of like a resentful chore that you have to do because your roommate is disrespectful (laughs) so um yeah you can do that and then you can also use magical solutions like you can Cast a spell for a cleaner kitchen and you can set the intention that the space is more aligned with that energy that you desire. Um, So spend some time every day just visualizing the kitchen as you want it to be. So with visualization, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, you want to make sure that you incorporate all of your senses. So you're visualizing a clean kitchen with, you know, clean countertops and, and, and the sink is empty, no dishes everything's put away so that's like the visual part but you can also incorporate your sense of smell with like the smell of your soap or thinking of the smell of your cleaning products or even the like your favorite meal that you want to make in there that that's how you want the kitchen to smell um you can think of the taste of your favorite food as well you can think of that you I mean if you want to you can think of the taste of those cleaning products but that would be kind of gross <laughs> but you could do that um the feeling of, you know, like I mentioned before, I want my kitchen to feel welcoming and joyful. So maybe you do too, or maybe you have a different way that you want your kitchen to feel. So that feeling of what it is like in there, um, the feeling of, you know, not finding crusted on food on your stovetop and not finding like dried little crumbs all over the countertop, getting, having smooth countertops, that's a feeling. Is that all sound? I um, <laughs> couldn't remember all of our senses. So your sense of sound, it, you can think about what the food sounds like when it's cooking in a frying pan or, or what the, um, the sound of a buzzer or anything. The sound of people laughing and chatting in the kitchen. Whatever you know will help you feel like your kitchen is the way, that's how you visualize it. Okay. So those are all of my tips for dealing with you know the feeling of not being a good cook The feeling of not knowing how to cook, wondering what to do with a small space or an awkward space or an open floor plan, um, how to deal with muggle roommates and especially judgmental muggle roommates, how to deal with your children and inviting them in, and then um, the process of dealing with messy roommates (laughs) because you know sometimes we have them. And I just hope that this helps you to overcome some of those objections that might be coming up for you surrounding your kitchen witchery practice. You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com blog 009. Join me next Tuesday when we will talk about creating, organizing, and keeping your own personal magic book as you as a reference for your practice and make sure that you subscribe so that you are notified about each new episode please leave me a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts this helps other witches find this show it helps this podcast grow and i really appreciate it you can also find me on instagram and facebook with the handle at mumbles and things and join us in the talk witchcraft facebook group by going to talkwitchcraft.com to chat about this episode with other witchy folks. Wait, don't go yet! Thanks for listening to Talk Witchcraft with me, Maggie. If you've enjoyed this episode, I invite you to check out mumblesacademy.com. Mumbles Academy is the place to be for intuitive souls at any stage of their witch path whether you are a wildling at the very beginning of your witchcraft journey and are looking for a safe learning environment a creator who is committed to your practice and wants to develop your witchcraft skills even more or a sage who is full of wisdom already and wants to share what you know with others mumbles academy was designed for you with monthly masterclasses and live q a's an extensive archive of courses and trainings and a supportive community to help you along the way with encouragement and advice. Mumbles Academy is the perfect place for you to be as you continue on your witch path.